and one, two, three, four, five. Welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. We are on episode 85. And um, full disclosure, I'm alone this week. There's no Blue Bear. Uh, for a little background information, he had his computer. Uh, he wanted to upgrade it. And uh, it bricked. So he couldn't turn it on, wouldn't connect to the monitor, wouldn't connect to anything. Spent some time trying to troubleshoot the thing with him and uh, just didn't work. So we ordered a new one, but the new computer is not back yet. So just me. Uh, this podcast is probably going to be a lot shorter than one of the more typical ones because, frankly, it's just going to be me talking to myself. This is going to be an exercising, an exercise in seeing how long I can actually talk to myself. Um, so bear with me. But that <laughs> that's the disclaimer. You, you've, you've been warned up front. Basically, what I think this is going to be is a, an extended segment one. I'm going to be talking about... There's not going to be a segment three. Because, I mean, the wild card is that I'm here on my own without Blue. So I've, I've got a few topics, a few things that I, I figured might be interesting to talk about. Something I could rhapsodize on a little bit uh, without somebody to uh, bounce ideas off of or provide counterpoints, counter commentary, react to what I'm saying. All right, that's enough waffling now. I wanted to start off with one of the biggest stories that's been happening this past week, uh, well, two weeks now since the last podcast went out. And we, we kind of provided a bit of an update on this at the time. We, we had talked about how the whole thing with Elon Musk buying bits and pieces of Twitter and then potentially joining the board and then not joining the board, but then potentially buying more of the company and then making an offer for it. Well, all of that came to a head in the meantime, and um, they accepted. He, he made a big offer. He tried some uh, interesting tactics. Uh, they were going to do um, this thing, I guess it's called a poison pill. Basically, if somebody is about to take a large interest in the company, once they pass a certain threshold, uh, the existing shareholders, or the board, I guess, are able to issue new stock, essentially devaluing all existing stock, um, and then making it more difficult for somebody to buy a controlling interest in the company. That didn't happen uh, because Elon was considering, I guess, what's called a tender offer. I, I don't know enough about stock trading to say any of this like with any degree of authority, but this is what I've read, um, and, which would have been him going directly to key s shareholders um, some of which were like you know, big banks and stuff like that, which stood to make a lot of money if this deal went through. And uh, thereby circumventing the rule where he, if he bought too much of the stock, they were allowed to do that. He could just buy directly from people who were eager to sell to him at the rate he quoted. Uh, and it all culminated in the deal happening. He bought it. And people are like going nuts about it. Or at least Twitter employees are going nuts about it. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff has been happening on Twitter itself, from what I've heard. I, this is, again, all second and third hand, because I don't use social media. I mean, aside from YouTube, if you count YouTube. Uh, no. I, I, I had a Twitter account once. I used it for about six months and became significantly less productive in that time. It was way too easy to just scroll and look at funny memes for an hour. I can only imagine what happens to people that use TikTok. Uh, yeah, but that happened. People are melting down. 
complaining to the company. Some of the weird stuff that I've heard is happening is like uh, people who have accused Twitter of kind of shadow banning them and stuff like that suddenly find people able to see their posts, suddenly start gaining followers. Um, other people have you know thrown a tempter tantrum and said, oh, we're going to leave the platform. We're going to get off here. And then they don't. I, I feel like this is, and I've heard somebody else say this, so I'm stealing this quote. Um, but the whole, I'm leaving Twitter because Elon Musk bought it, is the, I'm moving to Canada because the person I don't like got elected. Yeah. <laughs> it's just been very amusing to me. Um, I'm considering remaking an account, or maybe using the TMCJ podcast account that we have more actively. Maybe if it's a more well-run platform, it'll actually be something that is beneficial to the channel, to the podcast. We'll see. But yeah, just an update on there. I think the final price that he, he paid like $45 billion for it, which is something like a fifth of the, his, his worth. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a crazy roller coaster. And I, Elon Musk basically... He's, he, he strikes me as like, a, 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 he's almost become like a Tony Stark figure. Like he is Iron Man, except if he liked memes and um, was a bit more of a troll. Like he owns one of the biggest electric car companies in the world. One of the most successful ones. Um, he owns a spaceship company that has pioneered all kinds of new rocket technology. And then he decides to use his enormous wealth just, just to mess with people. Although he does make good points that, you know, he's, uh, Twitter is definitely not what it used to be. Again, I'm speaking secondhand since I never really used it. But from what I've been told, it used to be a much more um, engaging, much more chaotic platform. Probably a lot more fun, too. Um, I don't know. I miss the old days of the internet. Facebook had just came out when I went to college for the first time. Um, and I remember what it was like. It was it was a really... A, a lot more of a clunky site back then. But it was a lot more of a fun environment. Like, I miss the old days of the internet where you could just... It was just a bunch of people trolling and shit-talking each other. Um, it was like the Wild West. And there were good parts of it and bad parts of it. I personally enjoyed, like, the banter and the back and forth. The early days of, like, Xbox Live, like, I really enjoyed that. I met a lot of people on there, uh, some of which have been, you know, friends of mine for decades now. Uh, and back then, there was, yeah, there was no, there was no going into private chats. There was no, um, and not only that, most games had, like, proximity voice, so you could hear everyone in the game, whether you're an opponent or not, and it was just awesome but yeah I'm, I'm i don't think we'll get back to that state at any point or that twitter is going to turn into that uh, although if it did i probably would make an account um yeah there's not really much i can else i can say about that because i don't really know too much else about it i just wanted to update it since it was a topic that we talked about on the podcast let's see here what else have i been doing this week i've been I've been trying to play a little bit more on my Xbox after work, um, mainly because, oh, you know what? I, I won't talk about that yet. 
I've been playing through Ark Survival Evolved. Uh, for those that don't know, it is an open world survival game. Got all the classic stuff about that. You can craft things, learn new recipes, build a base, do all that fun stuff, gather resources. And except the, the twist is it's like on a prehistoric island. So there's dinosaurs everywhere and you can tame the dinosaurs and, you know, ride them. I spent a good chunk of last weekend flying around on a pterodactyl that I'd named Flying Bitch. Just roaming and hunting and exploring new lands. Um, yeah, fun game. And I think by the end of it on one island, we had the, the, the server I was playing on. They had significantly reduced the amount of time it took to tame something or to level up. So we were able to get up in technology very quickly, and we were able to tame a lot of dinosaurs very quickly. So we had a few Triceratopses, some Stegosauri, Stegosauruses, Stegosauri, how do you say that? Uh, quite a few Pterodactyls. Don't know if we ever got any of the bigger ones, like the T-Rexes, the Brontosauruses, or if you can even get them. Uh, but I remember hearing a lot about that game back in the day like back in 2017 that's when i picked the game up and haven't really touched it since then uh but some of the servers i saw back then like it was a significant amount of time so you had people who would play you know thousands of hours and they would you know it'd be a huge achievement to tame one dinosaur i feel like it gave you a lot of investment in it it's like ah you, you don't want the dinosaur to die it's like a big thing you don't want to risk it but it also means that you've got a huge leg up on the other people on the server because you got a dinosaur. That that's a massive jump in technology. I remember watching videos of people on servers where they had different tribes, and like you know the the tribes that with some of the tribes were able to tech up like they grinded a lot and they teched up to guns and they became some of the bigger tribes. And then there were other tribes that made political alliances against them. I love games where stuff like that happens. A few years back, in fact, I, uh, I hosted a, a Factorio server and we had seven people in the server, I want to say. Yeah. And um, what we ended up doing, what we actually ended up becoming factions unto ourselves. So there were there was the, the northern faction, the central faction and the southern faction. And um, the southern faction was the blueprint faction. Like the other, the rest of us liked, you know, organically growing our factories. People in the south, they were like hardcore into blueprints. And a war started between the central and southern factions because they, the blueprint faction in the south had built over some of the central faction's buildings and basically like, oh, this is all messy, cleared it out and stamped the blueprint on it. They didn't like that. And so they ended up basically sabotaging each other's buildings, blowing up power lines, cutting them off when like the monsters in the game would come by. Uh, but my faction, the northern faction, ended up being able to stay completely neutral in the conflict because we were the ones that manufactured all of the bullets. Both factions had to come to us for ammo. And we were the ones keeping the massive like enemy alien bug bases to the north out of everyone else's hair. So <laughs> it's crazy how stuff like that can develop organically in those kinds of games. Like once you add a multiplayer element and enough freedom, like crazy things, you'd see this stuff in like Minecraft servers too. Although to a lesser extent, I think. 
Um, and you really need the right group for that, that to actually develop. Some people don't find that sort of thing fun at all. They just want to build their little thing and they don't want to be disturbed. Those are the people you see on the beach who build these giant elaborate sandcastles. And then they, they, they weep if a small child runs into it and destroys it. I shouldn't be laughing, but I, I don't know. There is something that I find intrinsically funny about people getting trolled. Maybe not so much when I get trolled. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's the price you pay. All right. That's me talking about ARC. But there was something else. Oh, right. Yeah, Xbox. Um, I have the Xbox Game Pass, which I don't use it enough for how much it, it costs, which I guess is probably the point and why Microsoft put it out. Um, but every now and again, I'll see a game and see that it's free because I have the pass and think, you know what, I, I'm going to use this thing. I'm actually going to try it out. This week I've been playing an indie game and I did record a good chunk of it, so I might end up using it for a future video, but... It's called uh, Chinatown Detective Agency. It's set in Singapore in like 2050-something or 2030-something. Uh, and as far as I can tell, it's like, you know, a, a somewhat dystopian cyberpunk future. I, I haven't really gauged the level of dystopia yet. Uh, it seems like one of the biggest things is, like, it, it takes place in Singapore, and you do go to other parts of the world. Um, I mean, the... the game opens up with a guy getting blown up by a robot bird that it's like a bomber um and then you play as this uh, detective woman who owns her own private detective agency she goes and solves cases i think she gets involved very early on with like this cabal of the upper elite in singapore and they, they put her on a case to hunt down this guy who's kind of skipped the country um I enjoy the aesthetic of it. It's it's 8-bit kind of look to it. Um, so kind of low, low-res polygonal graphics. Or no, not polygon. Uh, low-res like 2D kind of graphics. It has a very 90s adventure game kind of interface where you've got you know, your different menus. You can open up a map. You click on things in the screen to... Well, you don't click on it. You walk over to it, press the A button on the Xbox. The one thing I didn't like about it, I I don't like, if I don't have to, looking up a guide for a game. I feel like in most games, especially ones that have puzzles, if I have to look up a guide, I've failed. <laughs> right? I, I feel like I'm, I'm cheating. I feel like I've failed. I should have figured it out myself. What I didn't know, and this is something I think it takes from the whole adventure game feel where it was like extremely difficult and there were some stupid puzzles on there are things that the game expects you to tab out and open open up an internet browser and look it up i i spent probably 40 minutes trying to solve a riddle there was a person who had disappeared i had to find a book they had checked out of the library and all i had was a quote um and the quote i can't remember it off the top of my head it was something like um of all men's miseries, the worst is knowing that he controls nothing, or, or is to know so much and yet control have control over nothing. Something like that. Um, so I'm looking everywhere. I'm like, okay, I got the guy's name, I got the quote, maybe I just, his name's in the directory, and the directory I was looking at was a list of, I guess, probably Patreon supporters or GoFundMe supporters or whatever. Uh, couldn't find it. 
eventually I broke down, pulled out my tablet, and I didn't look up the, the solution to the puzzle. I looked up how am I supposed to find this? And I found an article written about this. And I, I wish I could remember what site it was on so I could give credit. Um, but it, they were talking, they, they said that one of their biggest frustrations is that the game intends you to tab out and look things up for these puzzles. Like you're not supposed to find them in game. The solutions aren't in the game. The solutions are on the internet. And while it's kind of a, I get, it, the cynical side of me is like, okay, they, they saved some budget by doing that. <laughs> but maybe it's more of a like, they felt that they didn't need to. People are going to tab out and be able to look it up anyway. It was annoying. Anyway, that quote is from Herodotus. And so I was able to use that to put in that keyword and then pull up the book that was they had on file related to Herodotus. And that gives the next puzzle. Um, there's another thing later where when I finally solve a cipher, they give you a hint and it's a location and they tell you three possible things that location could be. And you either have to have the knowledge of, you know, what the alternate name for one of those places is, or you have to look it up like I did because I'd never heard the word before. So it's now that I know that I'm in, <laughs> I'm enjoying the game a bit more. But it was a very frustrating, like, 30 or 40 minutes just scrolling through this list. Like, I am I just blind? Am I missing the name? Talking to everyone in the town costs two bucks to use the subway in that game. So I'm I'm spending, like, you know, a ton of money going to all the different locations. Um, yeah. I probably should have... Well, I, you know what? An old adventure game back in the 90s would have come with an instruction book. And that instruction book would have said, hey, look it up in a dictionary, dumbass. Or, hey, look it up online for the modern day. But yeah, overall, it seems like a good game. I like the aesthetic. It has voice acting. It's a little amateurish. But for the what it is, it's, it's good. Like, the people doing the voice acting clearly were, were putting some effort into it. Um, and some of them, like... There's only a couple areas where you're like, okay, this is this is not like the the most professional either voice actor or person directing voice actor, but they're not like it's not bad voice acting, it's just not triple A perfect. Although I say that some triple A games have some very boring voice acting, like the, you can clearly tell the person is just there for a paycheck, and they're just essentially reading the the dialogue off a list but oh well been having fun with it really liked it um actually this is a good point to transition into ah no no i'm gonna i'm gonna keep on gaming for a little bit so i talked about on the podcast a uh, a couple weeks back how i've been replaying uh, legend of zelda ocarina of time on the switch because and i found out I found out there's a reason that I was able to get the N64 thing. There's actually a... You have to buy the Nintendo Online expansion pack, which for an individual, I believe, is 40 or $50 a year. And then for a family plan, it's like $80 a year. What I had forgotten is that one of my college buddies, he wanted to buy one and he was going to share keys with his, him, his wife, and his brother. Now, the thing is... When you buy the family plan, it's $80. So, again, it's more expensive. But you get eight keys. 
can attach it to eight accounts. Well, he only had three people to give it to, so it wouldn't have been worth it to buy two of the normal one. So he had five extra ones, so he just asked the rest of us, hey, do you want these? And I've been on his account ever since. I need to thank him more often for that. Um, yeah, playing through the uh, the the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, I beat it uh, this, this past week. And it was interesting. Right up until the end, I remembered most of what I was doing. Because I'd played through the original one, and I beat it when I was pretty young. Uh, pretty soon after it came out and then the I, I beat most of it on the 3ds and then i beat part of it again like on the gamecube when i i got the they they released it along with master quest on the gamecube so i've beaten a good chunk of the game but i've never gotten a hundred percent of the way through it like all the way beat the final boss saw the ending cutscene. i'm pretty sure i've only done that once maybe twice and i was very young um so this was the first time I'd done that in a while. And pretty much up until the end when I went into Ganon's castle and, um, you know, did all the little sub uh, temples inside there and unlocked things and then went up and did the final boss fight. There, there were a few <laughs> there were a few things where I I could not for the life of me remember what I was supposed to be doing. Um, for instance, in the final boss, when you're fighting Ganondorf, He's throwing light balls at you. I knew you had to use your sword to reflect the ball back at him and hit him with it. What I forgot was that once I did that, I had to shoot him with a light arrow. Uh, and I had a very small window to do it in. So I, it, it took me a little bit to, to get back to it. But I was surprised exactly how much of the game I remembered and was able to solve without. I think I only had to pull up a guide and look up things once or twice. Um once was to try and figure out how I was supposed to get into uh, Mount Doom from the Gerudo, uh, Gerudo City or Goron, Goron City. Uh, and another one was when I was trying to find. Oh, what was it? There was a heart piece or. Uh, oh. Yeah, heart piece or a skeleton or gold skeleton. And I, I don't remember which one it was, but I just like I knew roughly where it was and I just could not find it. But it was a lot of fun. It was good going back to that and actually completing the game again, because it's been. At least two decades since I've beat it the whole way through. Um, yeah, just that's that. Um the thing I was of going to transition to talking about and going to go into a little bit uh, is novels, writing in particular. Well, s ways that stories are written that either do or don't work. And I'm, again, by no means an expert on this. I, I have written quite a bit, but I've never actually finished a book. So there's my credentials. Um... But recently, and this is something we're going to be talking about on the next podcast when Blue's available to record, um, there's a book that he's had me reading uh, called Blind Faith by Ben Elton. And I won't give away most of my opinions on that, but one thing I will say is the book does tend to have a bit excessive dialogue, um, which wasn't too bad. I was listening to it in an audiobook, uh, and, you know, whatever, it's fine. It was, it was definitely readable. The story was good, and I was entertained. Now, there's another book that I picked up from a bookstore nearby, uh, and the book is called... Oh, it, the book series, and 
this is what kind of drew me to it. It looked short and it looked interesting. The book was called the the series is called the Murderbot Diaries, which is kind of a hilarious name. And the idea is a AI becomes like self-aware and it uh, it decides it's perfectly peaceful. It decides it wants to help humans and help people or something like at least that's what the blurb on the back of the book said. But it decides to name itself Murderbot. And I, I haven't gotten far enough into it to actually see if it'll it'll ever catch me. And this is the reason. The writing style in this book is just, for me at least, atrocious. It Every sentence is like broken up by an inner monologue. So a, the, the robot will be, you know, monologuing about something and then it, there'll be like a, a random parenthesis where it'll say something that is, it sounds like something a snarky teenager would say. It's like, you know, I, I don't understand why humans do this in parentheses, lol humans or something like that. It's not that bad, but it, it's close to that bad. It made, I got through the first chapter of uh, the book that I bought. So I have the first book. I haven't started that one. And I have a standalone short story that's written in the same, not short story, but a standalone novel that's written in the same universe. You're supposed to be able to read it with just basically knowing the premise. And reading through that one, I it was a slog to get through the first two chapters. And like I had to force myself. I was like, I bought this book. I am going to read through it. I'm at least going to get partway through it. But it, the dialogue, the inner monologue, and the writing style was just grating. And that might just be me. Uh, so it just... Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know why I brought that up. Just something to complain about, I guess. And then I, I, a part of this, I think, might be a bit spoiled, maybe. Some books I've gone back to when I was a... No, because you know what? When I was a kid, one of my favorite book series was Animorphs. Loved that series. The same author, uh, K.A. Applegate, she released another book series uh, following that one. That was kind of more for like the young adult teenager kind of crowd. And it was called uh, Everworld. You know, Animorphs, for those that don't know, book series about these, uh, these you know, teenage kids. They are walk. They're cutting through a construction site, coming home from the mall one night. And they find a crashed, crashed alien spaceship. There's a dying alien there. And he gives them this, this power, this, this technology that allows them to acquire DNA from animals that they are able to touch and then they can transform into that animal for two hours before they have to transform back to their human form and then they find out that there's another alien race that's on earth that's slowly infecting people they can control people's minds and essentially enslave them uh and the book series went on for like 50 books i remember a few years back going back and reading because they're short books rereading just a couple of them i mean it's it's clearly meant for a younger audience but i was still able to like it flowed smoothly the dialogue seemed natural the descriptive language seemed natural and and like you know, it didn't constantly pull me out of the action because it had a weird non sequitur sentence or something like that um same thing and to a lesser extent i tried reading the first book of the the other series that k applegate wrote the uh, everspace one she had three series that i wrote uh read when i was a kid um the other one was called Remnants, and it was about like the last vestiges of humanity uh, that barely get off the planet before a meteor strikes and blows up Earth. 
um, which interesting concept. And I, I did enjoy that one, but I, it kind of petered off at one point. I don't know if she stopped writing it or if I just moved on to something else because this, this was kind of like my early teens when that one was coming out. Anyway, the Everspace one, I went back and again, clearly made for a young audience, but not as young as the other ones. And, um, but, but well-written. Again, dialogue flowed kind of naturally. The, the, the descriptive scenes. It, it all felt coherent and smooth. So just the, the writing style, even if you have a great concept for a story, writing style really means a lot. And I think that's, that's a lesson that I was taught the hard way, you know, reading these, these books fairly recently. Um, and in fact, I just, I haven't picked that book up again. It's been like a month since I touched it. I've been moving on. I've been rereading the uh, the Song of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones series, as most people will call it now. Um, a book series that, as much as I'm glad that the author made bank selling it to HBO and doing the you know the TV show and whatnot, I am just really really afraid that he's not going to be able to finish that series, or that he just won't, because um, that's a series that's been with me since I was like. 12 there were only two books out when i started reading it and the third one came out when i went to high school fourth one came out when i went to college fifth one came out when i graduated college and it's been a drought since then it's been 11 years since the last book came out (sighs) 11 years yeah i'm really afraid that's not the only series that that's happened to me with um another book series uh patrick rothfuss the author he wrote the series uh, King Killer Chronicles. And it's another fantasy series. It's meant to be a trilogy. So the first book, uh, Name of the Wind. Second book, uh, A Wise Man's Fear. And the third book was supposed to be called The Doors of Stone. And from what I've heard, the book is written. Uh, the book, he's, he's posted pictures of the manuscript. I think he published like the first chapter online. Um, but he still hasn't... It's another one that's been... It's been like 10 years again. I think uh, A Wise Man Fear came out in 2011 or 2012. And I've reread the, I've reread that series a few times too, to the point where I think I've got a good idea where he's going with the plot and probably where it's going to end. But he just hasn't finished it. And in his case, he's got the damn book written. He just needs to like just wipe his hands of it. He's, he's going for perfection. Never go for perfection. It's never going to be perfect. Get the story to the point where it's good. Give it to an editor. Publish the damn thing. I mean, don't don't put it out like half finished. Make sure you've got a good, coherent story. Have a few, you know, test readers. But stop tweaking it. Finish it. And just just let it go. Doors of Stone. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look this up and see. Uh, he, he released the prologue in December. So that's the more recent thing. Um, oh. Patrick Rothfuss, Doors of Stone, is expected to release on the 11th of July, 2022. Huh. He might finally release the damn book. (laughs) What a fucking shock. Oh, my God. Okay. Do I have anything else to talk about? That's the question I have to ask myself now. What else have I been doing this week? Played a game about... Nope. That's not interesting. Yeah, I really, I don't have anything else to say. I guess, so the question I asked myself at the beginning of this podcast was, 
how long can I talk to myself realistically? And the answer, it appears, is 32 minutes. So that mystery has been solved. It's another one I can scratch off the bucket list. I, if I practice, I imagine I can probably talk to myself for longer. Um, but that's not going to happen today. Like I said, this was going to be a shorter form podcast in general. I can't quiz myself for segment three. I can't play these these fun little games. I can't time myself trying to describe something that I ask myself to describe. As funny as that would actually be for me to try and play both me and Blue, it's not going to work. So you're only getting topics this week. Um, but hopefully it wasn't too boring. And if you, t- honestly, if you listened this long, you know, more power to you and thank you. Uh, but this is going to be the end of this very odd episode of the TMCJ podcast and end of episode 85. Thank you all for listening. And you will hear us again two weeks for episode 86.